The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which... I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your reader, your commenter, your pompous jackass, Michael Ian Black. And if you've stuck with it so far, you've probably been thinking to yourself, okay, but when are we going to get to the sex? When are we going to get to the sex? And I've been thinking the same thing. Because if you're going to read a book, there better be some sex. Because why else are you reading? Tumblr, I guess, took off their porn. And I'm not faking any prudery here. Uh, Tumblr was not my go-to site for seeing sexuals. Um, But I guess Tumblr took off their porn. And so a lot of you are thinking, oh, am I going to have to return to Victorian literature? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. That may be your only option at this point. And if you stuck with us to this point in the book, you may be thinking to yourself, well, maybe finally, finally, they're getting to the sex because Sue Bridehead has escaped from the nunnery, as it were. She has removed her metaphorical chastity belt. And she has gone through a river, a raging river to get to Jude, having spent the previous night with him, not in a intimate way, but at a farmer's house. And we all thought, I certainly thought, oh, this is where the boning comes. No. So now she's escaped from the nunnery and she's at Jude's house. She's she was soaking wet. He compared her to a mermaid. And he and she's like, oh, God, I'm soaking wet. And he, and he was like, well, you can wear my clothes. And so when we left, 
she had just changed into his clothes. And she's saying, I suppose, Jude, it is odd that you should see me like this and all my things hanging there. Yet what nonsense. They are only a woman's clothes. But I guess this is a very big deal that she's sitting there and, and, and flopping around in his uh, his suit, you know, probably looking adorbs. That's the word Thomas Hardy used. Uh, at the end of the chapter, he goes, uh, he softly went nearer to her and observed that a observed that a warm flush now rose her hitherto blue cheeks and felt that her hanging hand was no longer cold. She looked adorbs. The last sentence in the paragraph in the chapter is then he stood with his back to the fire regarding her and saw in her almost a divinity. And we know how Jude feels about divinities. He friggin loves them. I mean, he has spent his life studying them to this point. But, you know, the problem with that is Sue is not really presenting herself as a divinity, is she? She's saying, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy, dripping wet like a mermaid, but now wearing his clothes, asking him to love her. And Jude can't see it. Chapter four. Jude's reverie was interrupted by the creak of footsteps ascending the stairs. So here come here come the cops or somebody. You hiding a girl in there, boy. Are you hiding a girl in there? Well, well this isn't a house of repute, repute boy. We're going to have to take you downtown. I mean, that could be what's happening. There's no duck in here. He whisked Sue's clothing from the chair where it was drying, thrust it under the bed, and sat down to his book. Somebody knocked and opened the door immediately. It was the landlady. Oh, I didn't know whether you was in or out. Not, Mr. Fowley. I wanted to know if you would require supper. I see you've a young gentleman. (laughs) Come on! Come on. Are we really are we really going to do this where you see a woman, obviously a woman, dressed in man's clothing and we're going to act like because she's in man's clothing that that's therefore a man. I mean, are we we are not that dumb. Even the British are not that dumb. Yes, ma'am, but I think I won't come down tonight. Will you bring supper up on a tray and I'll have a cup of tea as well? It was Jude's custom to go downstairs to the kitchen and eat his meals with the family to save trouble. His landlady brought up the supper, however, on this occasion, and he took it from her at the door. When she had descended, he set the teapot on the hob and drew out Sue's clothes anew, but they were far from dry. A thick woolen gown, he found, held a deal of water. So he hung them up again and enlarged his fire and mused as the sudden stream from the garments went up the chimney. Excuse me, it was not a sudden stream. It was just a stream. And then she says, suddenly she said, Jude, yes, all right. How do you feel now? So the landlady walked in and there's uh, some dude, apparently asleep in his house. And she's like, oh, I guess you're just entertaining some sleeping dude. Okay. Jude, yes. All right. How do you feel now? Better. Quite well. Why, I fell asleep, didn't I? What time is it? Not late, surely. It is past ten. Is it really? What shall I do? She said, starting up. 
stay where you are. Yes, that's what I want to do, but I don't know what they would say. And what will you do? Oh, you coquettish such and such. And Jude, being proper, of course, says, I'm going to sit here by the fire all night and read. Tomorrow is Sunday, and I haven't to go out anywhere. Perhaps you will be saved a severe illness by resting there. Don't be frightened. I'm all right. Right, I'm not going to. We know, Jude, you're all right. God, we know how all right you are. (sighs) Be a little less right, Jude. You know, that's what she's thinking. Yeah, I know, dude. And it's annoying. Look here, what I have got for you, some supper. When she had sat upright, she breathed plaintively and said, I do feel rather weak still. I thought I was well, and I ought not to be here, ought I? But the supper fortified her somewhat, and when she had had some tea and had lain back again, she was bright and cheerful. The tea must have been green or too long drawn, for she seemed preternaturally wakeful afterwards, though Jude, who had not taken any, began to feel heavy, till her conversation fixed his attention. Oh, now we're going back to a a thing that I had talked at some length before, and she says... You called me a creature of civilization or something, didn't you? She said, breaking a silence. It was very odd you should have done that. Why? Well, because it is provokingly wrong. I am a sort of negation of it. Oh, I'm a negation of civilization. Do tell. Do tell, Sue Bridehead. Whatever do you mean, a negation of civilization? Uh, And then Jude says, you are very philosophical. A negation is profound talking. Is it? Do I strike you as being learned, she asked, with a touch of raillery. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's a little piqued at that. How dare you call me learned? I'm just a simple country mouse. No, not learned, only you don't talk quite like a girl. Well, a girl who has had no advantages. I have had advantages. I don't know Latin and Greek, though I know the grammars of those tongues. But I know most of the Greek and Latin classics through translations and other books, too. I read Lamprier, Catullus, Marshall, Juvenal, Lucian, Beaumont, and Fletcher, Boccaccio, Scarron, de Bartome, de Brantome, Stern, Defoe, Smollett... Fielding, Shakespeare, the Bible, and other such. I mean, who does that? <laughs> like, uh, I have read Bloom and Cleary and Willems. <laughs> uh, the Bible and other such, and found that all interest in the unwholesome part of those books ended with its mystery. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on. What is she saying? I think she's saying what I just said. Wait a second. She's saying, I've read all these books and other such and found that all interest in the unwholesome part of those books ended with its mystery. So is she talking about sex like I was? Like, is she saying like you read the books to find out like about the unwholesome stuff? Because that's exactly what I was saying when I started reading. Uh, I mean, is she that much of a perv? Is she as pervy as me? 
Again, I love her. She's like a suicide girl, I think. You know, remember suicide girls from like the early 2000s uh, who were like these tattooed gothic chicks who like did sort of erotic photo spreads and then they went on tour. I don't, I, 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 it was never clear to me exactly what it was as a thing. It was like a burlesque troupe sort of, but I feel like Sue would be one of those suicide girls if she was around today. She'd have uh, dyed hair, either pink or black. She'd have tattoos over, let's say, 60% of her body. She'd be doing burlesque. She'd be going on tour. She'd be titillating, as it were. And she'd be happy. That's really what it's about. How does Sue find happiness and express her own womanly self? And I mean that in its, in its entirety. I don't mean just the sexual aspects of it. She's frustrated, as Jude is frustrated, by her lack of advancement in the world. And one of the ways in which she is limited is uh, through expression, self-expression, even more limited than Jude. So she's frustrated. And so she's looking at uh, all these books and she's going to the naughty bits. You have read more than I, he said with a sigh. How came you to read some of those queerer ones? Well, she said thoughtfully, it was by accident. My life has been entirely shaped by what people call a peculiarity in me. I have no fear of men as such, nor of their books. (laughs) I have mixed with them, one or two of them particularly, almost as one of their own sex. I mean, I have not felt them, as most women are taught to feel, to be on their guard against attacks on their virtue. For no average man, no man short of a sensual savage, will molest a woman by day or night, at home or abroad, unless she invites him, unless she says by a look, come on, he is always afraid to, and if you never say it or look it, he never comes. However, what I was going to say is that when I was 18, I formed a friendly intimacy with an undergraduate at Christminster, and he taught me a great deal and lent me books which I should never have got hold of otherwise. Okay. So Sue is saying a lot right there. She's walking right up to a line and she is uh, wary of crossing it. And first of all, she's obviously wrong here when she says <laughs> no man short of a sensual savage will molest a woman. Well, OK, but let's just let's take let's take her at her word there. But let's just uh, posit further that there are a lot of sensual savages out there who will do exactly what uh, she is unafraid of happening. Um, and I suspect that was I, I suspect that was a common occurrence, even in fictional Wessex and Sue Uh, has been, let's say, lucky if she has been putting herself in compromising situations without fear. Uh, I'm not saying women should not mix with men, per Mike Pence, but I am saying certainly then there would have been few consequences for any such action, I suspect, because the woman would be like today, might be too embarrassed or ashamed to say anything, and uh, and she had very little voice. And so the dude can just sensually savage away. Certainly the mores were, I would say, probably stricter 
than they are now. But I suspect this, that kind of thing was happening all the time. So she's saying, unless she says, she gives a look, come on, he's always afraid to. And she's, you know, who's she talking about now? She's talking about Jude, but she has now admitted that she had a friendly intimacy with an undergraduate at Christminster when she was 18. So, you know, she was like, I'm barely legal, but I'm legal. And he goes, is your friendship broken off? Oh, yes. So that's obviously the dude in the photograph in her in her room. Oh, yes. He died, poor fellow, two or three years after he had taken his degree and left Christminster. You saw a good deal of him, I suppose, says Jude. So now Jude's fishing. He's like, so what? So what happened? What happened with you and this dude? And she says, yes, we used to go about together on walking tours, reading tours, and things of that sort, like two men almost. He asked me to live with him, and I agreed to by letter, but when I joined him in London, I found he meant a different thing from what I meant. Well, no shit, stupid. He wanted me to be his mistress, in fact, but I wasn't in love with him, and on my saying I should go away if he didn't agree to my plan— he did so. We shared a sitting room for 15 months, and he became a leader writer for one of the great London dailies till he was taken ill and had to go abroad. He said I was breaking his heart by holding out against him so long at such close quarters. He could never have believed it of woman. I might play that game once too often, he said. Yeah, he's right. He came home merely to die. His death caused a terrible remorse in me for my cruelty, though I hope he died a terrible... Wait. His death caused a terrible remorse in me for cruelty, though I hope he died of consumption and not of me entirely. Well, that's a little egotistical, isn't it? First of all, I mean, first of all, she's saying, well, I hope he died of consumption and not because he was so obsessed with me. He didn't die because he was obsessed with you, Sally. I went down to Sanborn to his funeral and was his only mourner. He left me a little money because I broke his heart, I suppose. That's how men are, so much better than women. Well, <laughs> that's a very a romantic notion, Sue, but uh, a lot of us men would beg to differ. Although I will say this, I do not like the argument that one sex is preferable to the other. I don't like the argument. I don't buy the argument. I don't like it coming from women, and I don't like it coming from men. And I don't care who they're elevating. So chew on that, and we're going to take a break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, Sue's just been telling us about this man she went to live with and how she was worried she might have killed him by breaking his heart. But no, he died of consumption. And back to the book. Jude says, good heavens, what did you do then? Oh, now you are angry with me, she said, a contralto note of tragedy coming suddenly into her silvery voice. I wouldn't have told you if I had known. Yes, you would, Sue. Yes, you would. You want him to know this. You've been dying for him to know. I, I, you know, there are moments of great exasperation in this book for me. And perhaps I am not exasperated with the book so much as I am with human character, because this is a very true thing. When somebody, and first of all, I hate the term very true. It's either true or it's not. It's not very true. This is a true thing that people do. It's a kind of humble braggy thing where, you know, you say something, you, you give somebody cause for, uh, uh, what concern, alarm, worry, or perhaps you're giving them cause for, in Sue's case, it's beguilement, really. She's trying to enchant him. And she's saying, oh, I had this relationship with this guy and I killed him because he loved me so much. That's a humble braggy thing to say. You're like, I mean, you're like, yeah, he died and it was my fault because he was so obsessed with me. You're saying I am so enchanting that I literally killed the dude. Sally, calm down. Okay. I need uh, a different perspective on Sue, perhaps uh, a female perspective. So I'm going to call up friend and comedian, Jen Kirkman. Hi, pal. Happy New Year. I hope you're well. Uh, I'm well enough, I guess. How are you? Yeah, well enough. I'm not caught up on your podcast. I, I paused what? all my podcasts for a while to listen to only ones about Hallmark movies. So right. you'll have to catch me up. Well, there's not, <laughs> there's not that much to catch up on, really. Now we're at this part of the book where it seems like she's not that into the dude that she's engaged to. And it seems like she might be kind of into Jude, but he's totally afraid to do anything or say anything that might put her off. But it seems like every, every other uh, sentence, she's kind of leading him on and then pushing him away. And so my question to you is, mm. what is her deal? Just as a lady person, do you ever get like a thrill out of the fact that some dude likes you 
and you're not necessarily not into him, but you're not really into him. So you sort of do that Fandango dance that she's doing. No, I think this is way more complex than that. Now, I will say it's funny you've asked me relationship questions because I have been. You're my go to. I've been dead single for two years after the most devastating breakup. And I haven't even gone on a date like I've been celibate and single and not even a flirt but, like and no one's asked me out. And I mean, I had, I know nothing like from recent experience. Oh, I don't think you're good at it. I'm sort of uh, at that age where, well, you know, if I meet someone great, um, it seems like not a good age to meet people. They seem everyone's pretty tied up. The ones that are available, that I question why. But I will say what I think she has, and I don't think it's specific to women, but I think men who are attracted to this kind of woman think it's specific to women because they keep meeting her over and over. Oh. She has intimacy issues. Mm-hmm. And this Jude works for her because he's not that sure if he should. I mean, she's pulling him along, but he's also not sure. And it's, you know, mate, who knows? Chicken or egg? Is he not sure? Because she's not sure. It, would he be really sure if she said, Jude, forget that we're cousins. I don't want to be with this guy that, that I'm engaged to. I don't care that you're married. Let's do this. Would he really be relieved and thinking, this is what I wanted? So it sounds like the two of them, these kind of people find each other. So the two of them have intimacy issues and this weirdness works for them. At the end of the day, they wouldn't really be able to handle a real thing. And yet they can't part because then they have to sit with themselves if they're alone. I do not enjoy this kind of thing. But I do think that, yes, for some people, there is a sick thrill of keeping someone on the line in that way. I think your analysis is very good. This is why I go to you. You know, I've got to say, though, I've never gotten a sick thrill out of it. For me, if someone likes me that that I'm not sure about, I'm I'm running. I don't like to be adored when I don't return the feelings. It makes me feel wildly uncomfortable. Right. Do you ever let somebody's interest in you pique your interest in them? That's happened. I'm hoping that happens again because I ain't interested in nobody. So right. someone's going to have to start it. Yeah. And I hope I'm willing to let that happen. But, you know, some people are like that. They they don't even uh, they just like to be liked. So I think that's dangerous. You want to stay away from those people. Right. The last good relationship you've had. What was it about that person that you that you were into? Oh, it was just so easy. It was like, uh, I felt like they were family, hmm. but, but in a, in a not platonic way, it felt like, um, you, I could just spend 24 hours with them and it felt like two seconds. It was, it was a never ending. I want to hear what you think about every single thing on earth. And it was mutual. So why did it end? I don't know. I think he's got intimacy issues. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say that I've been in relationships where I don't know why I like the person. Right. But you stay because you, sometimes you go, eh, it's easier to stay than leave, isn't it? You know, there's so many messages we get. If you, if you don't think you are sure of someone, a lot of times people push you, stay in it. You're just being picky. You know, he's a good guy. He's got a face. 
(laughs) (laughs) Breathing, you stay with them. And so you stay, but you feel conflicted. And if you're the type of woman that it sounds like this cousin is, she's conflicted. And instead of maybe talking privately to her therapist and trying to figure it out. She's spilling it all over on Jude. And that's not his responsibility. It's not his business, her struggles with can she, can't she. Her her struggles go beyond that. Her struggles go into she feels like she doesn't even belong uh, in in the culture. She's like, I'm, she says this to him. She's, ah. ba- she's basically like, I'm of a different age and you wouldn't like me if you knew how bad I was. And she, and by the way, she hasn't done anything bad other than I think she kind of, she did this with another guy. He ended up dying. She kind of blames herself, even though he had consumption or some shit. And she feels like she's of another age. She's not into Christianity. She's not into the modern world. She like looks back to the pagan ages and thinks she belongs there among the kind of, I don't know. Oh, she's a fantasy addict. She is. That's exactly right. She would be. Well, these people can never relate with actual other human beings. So she's a lost cause and he needs to move on. That's the most concise explanation of her yet. She's a fantasy addict. She's like, she's like, a, a, I call her a suicide girl because she's like one of those suicide girls. You remember those girls? Oh, do I? Yeah. She's like, oh. that. that's who she oh. would be if she lived today. She'd, she'd be all tatted up and doing burlesque with some random chicks she met in Austin. That's what she would be doing. This woman, oh, I'm born in the wrong time. Oh, be quiet. You think you know more than the universe. You were put here when you were for a reason. Deal with it. Yes, Sally, it's deal so with it. It's so boring after a while, these people. Yep. Jen, you're you're the best. Oh, thanks so much. I hope I helped. And, and uh, if anyone's listening, um, uh, please don't contact me to ask me out. Thanks. Unless you're like, you know, an interesting person who's not crazy. Bye, Jen. The wise and funny Jen Kirkman So getting back to the reading, Sue was telling Jude about a former boyfriend of hers. Jude says, tell me everything. Well, I invested his money, poor fellow, in a bubble scheme and lost it. I lived about London by myself for some time, and then I returned to Christminster as my father, who was also in London and had started as an art metal worker near Longacre, wouldn't have me back. Interesting. And I got that occupation in the artist shop where you found me. I said you didn't know how bad I was. Such a suicide girl thing to say, Sally. Jude, I need you to tame me. Jude looked round upon the armchair and its occupant, as if to read more carefully the creature he had given shelter to. His voice trembled as he said, However you have lived, Sue, I believe you are as innocent as you are unconventional. I am not particularly innocent, as you see, now that I have... Uh, and then this is a quote, I guess, twitched the robe from that blank lay figure your fancy draped. Hmm. Well, I'm going to have to look that up. Thankfully, there is a uh, there's a footnote. So I flip to the back and I look at the little footnotes there. And let's see what that means. What is that referencing to? An adaption of lines from Browning's poem, Too Late. 
Okay, well, that doesn't help me at all. So now I have to look up Browning's poem. Let's see what Browning had to say. Browning. Uh, In Browning's dramatic soliloquy, too late. This is by Lawrence Perrin, P-R-R-I-N-E. The speaker, deranged by his long-repressed love for a woman who has married another, and by the shock of learning that she is dead, commits suicide in order to be with her. Hmm. Okay. Okay, so she says, I'm not particularly innocent, as you see, now that I have twitched the robe from that blank lay figure your fancy draped, said she with an ostensible sneer, though he could hear that she was brimming with tears. But I have never yielded myself to any lover, if that's what you mean. I have remained as I began. Yeah, your last name's Bridehead. You still have your maiden head. I quite believe you. But some women would not have remained as they began. Perhaps not. Better women would not. People say I must be cold-natured, sexless on account of it. But I won't have it. Some of the most passionately erotic poets have been the most self-contained in their daily lives. Have you told Mr. Phillotson about this university scholar friend? Yes, long ago. I have never made any secret of it to anybody. What did he say? He did not pass any criticism, only said I was everything to him, whatever I did, and things like that. Jude felt much depressed. She seemed to get further and further away from him with her strange ways and curious unconsciousness of gender. Aren't you really vexed with me, dear Jude? She suddenly asked, in a voice of such extraordinary tenderness that it hardly seemed to come from the same woman who had just told her story so lightly. I would rather offend anybody in the world than you, I think. I don't know whether I am vexed or not. I know I care very much about you. I care as much for you as for anybody I ever met. You don't care more. There, I ought not to say that. Don't answer it. There was another long silence. He felt that she was treating him cruelly. Yeah, though he could not quite say in what way. I have gone on at some length about this, Jude. If you listen to the podcast, you will understand how she is treating you cruelly. She is stringing you along, dude, like a landed fish, and you're suffocating in the air of her. That's what's happening. I go back and forth on Sue. I'm telling you. At times, she seems to me, like Jude, almost a divinity. And then she pulls shit like this. Her very helplessness seemed to make her so much stronger than he. I am awfully ignorant on general matters, although I have worked so hard, he said, to turn the subject. I am absorbed in theology, you know. And what do you think I should be doing just about now if you weren't here? I should be saying my evening prayers. I suppose you wouldn't like... Oh, no, no, she answered. I would rather not, if you don't mind. Oh, so she's saying, yeah, I wouldn't like you to pray. So she goes, oh, no, no, she answered. I would rather not, if you don't mind. I should seem so... Such a hypocrite. Well, I thought you wouldn't join, so I didn't propose it. You must remember that I hope to be a useful minister someday. To be ordained, I think you said. Yes. Then you haven't given up the idea? 
I thought that perhaps you had by this time. Of course not. I fondly thought at first that you felt as I do about that, as you were so mixed up in Christminster Anglicanism and Mr. Phillotson. I have no respect for Christminster whatever, except in a qualified degree on its intellectual side, said Sue Bridehead earnestly. My friend I spoke of took that out of me. He was the most irreligious man I ever knew and the most moral. And intellect at Christminster is new wine in old bottles. The medievalism of Christminster must go, be sloughed off, or Christminster itself will have to go. To be sure, at times wouldn't, one couldn't help having a sneaking liking for the traditions of the old faith as preserved by a section of the thinkers there in touching and simple sincerity. But when I was in my saddest, rightest mind, I always felt, another quote, O ghastly glories of saints, dead limbs of gibbeted gods, gibbeted or gibbeted, but I think that means hung, Sue. You are not a good friend of mine to talk like that. Then I won't, dear Jude. The emotional throat note had come back and she turned her face away. I still think Christminster has much that is glorious, though I was resentful because I couldn't get there. He spoke gently and resisted his impulse to pique her onto tears. So he wants her to cry, he sang. It is an ignorant place, except as to the townspeople, artisans, drunkards, and paupers, she said, perverse still at his differing from her. They see life as it is, of course, but few of the people in the colleges do. You prove it in your own person. You are one of the very men Christminster was intended for when the colleges were founded. A man with a passion for learning, but no money or opportunities or friends. But you were elbowed off the pavement by the millionaire's sons. Well, I can do without what it confers. I care for something higher, and I for something broader, truer, she insisted. At present, intellect in Christminster is pushing one way, and religion the other, and so they stand stock still, like two rams butting each other. What would Mr. Phillotson? It is a place full of fetishists and ghost seers. He noticed that whenever he tried to speak of the schoolmaster, she turned the conversation to some generalizations about the offending university. Jude was extremely, morbidly curious about her life as Phillotson's protege and betrothed, yet she would not enlighten him. Well, that's just what I am too, he said. I am fearful of life, specter-seeing always. But you are good and dear, she murmured. His heart bumped and he made no reply. You are in the Tractarian stage just now, are you not? She added, putting on flippancy to hide real feeling, a common trick with her. Let me see, when was I there? In the year 1800 and their sarcasm in that which is rather unpleasant to me, Sue. <laughs> Now, will you do what I want you to? And this time, I read a chapter and then say prayers as I told you. Now, will you concentrate your attention on any book of these you like and sit with your back to me and leave me to my custom? You are sure you won't join me? I'll look at you. All right, I'm just going to, I'm going to pause for a sec here because that was quite a thing.
That just happened. Uh, So we'll be back and we'll talk about it more here on Obscure. It's 2019, a brand new year, a fresh start. How about, guys, how about you make listening to Homophilia one of your New Year's resolutions? Homophilia is a queer comedy party where hosts Dave Holmes and Matt McConkie grill LGBTQ celebrities on what they're loving and who they're loving. They're having all kinds of in-depth, hilarious conversations about everything from their pop culture obsessions to deep talks about their guests' personal experiences. They had insanely amazing guests in convos last year. Some, for instances, Jesse Tyler Ferguson telling us his story about shoplifting gay porn. Matt Rogers of Las Culturistas talking about losing his virginity to the manager of a clam bar. Rhea Butcher breaking down gender fluidity, sex and love advice guru Dan Savage, breaking down being monogamish. Check out Homophilia on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, Michael Ian Black here, your faithful reader, and boy, oh boy, are we really onto something, aren't we? I mean, this is just the heart of the book right here. This is this is everything. The old ways, the new ways, the, 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 the modern age coming, the old age behind and still behind that, and even older age. And Sue Bridehead looking at all of it and going, I don't know where I fit in. And Jude and Jude. All he wants is her love and affection. But to get that, he will need to surrender everything. He will need to give up the entirety of his uh, of his self. And she kind of wants him to and she kind of doesn't. She says, you are good and dear. And she knows that for him to be with her, he cannot be neither good nor dear because she sees herself as so bad. And so she's kind of, she doesn't have the character to essentially walk away from him. She wants what he has too. He wants what she has. She wants what he has. And neither of them can quite get there, at least at this point. What, what he has is, is being good and dear. What he has is an optimism and a philosophy and a belief in the better things of life. And what she has that he wants is a, is a, is a, is a kind of pagan knowledge. She under she seems to understand the world in a way that he does not. And 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 with all his fancy book learning, he doesn't seem to understand how people behave and who they are at their core. And he had come close. Do you remember when he was in Christminster and he made the same observation that she did when he couldn't get into the college and he got and went to the bar and he looked around. And he's like, oh, yeah, see all these people like they get it. They understand what life is all about because they're living it day to day. They're not in their fancy uh, ivory towers reading their fancy books and uh and mumbling in latin to each other they're just out here living life and he understood the kind of street poetry that that represents now look is there an elitism even in this this observation of course there is because you can't hold yourself apart from that and look sort of gaze fondly at it and say oh look at the common man how wonderful he is 
because you're holding yourself apart then. You're still kind of elevating yourself above those people. And you're saying, well, I, I wish to be among the hoi polloi. I wish to live as the, uh, 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 the street sweeper lives, except that I've got my fancy Greek and my fancy Latin. You're holding yourself up apart from humanity uh, as much as the scholars in their towers are in a different way. But you're still doing it, dude. He understood that he under, I mean, he didn't understand that aspect of it, but he understood that there was life going on on the streets that he wasn't a part of, even though he was a stonemason, he couldn't quite ever be just a stonemason. And you remember the Dean from the college was like, dude, just don't come to college. Just be who you are, man. I am a fuddy duddy professor. That's who I am. I run this dumb school. That's what I do. You just go be a stonemason, dude. Why are you dreaming of better things? And this gets to the crux of so much of the frustrations we feel in life. And Sue has been through it already. Sue's already like wrung herself through this mill and she's been ground to dust. And she's saying, I'm nothing but dust, dude. I'm bad. I'm so bad. And, and he wants some of that badness. He just wants to reach out and grab some of her bad. And she wants to reach out and grab some of his good. And together, they're going to be average. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But, it, but, it, but it's, it, it is a kind of a startling dialogue that they had. And, you know, when I picked up Jude the Obscure, I, I, I thought, oh, this is going to be some boring, stupid book, right? I know it's a classic, but ugh, not interested in classics. Well, guess what? I'm very interested in this classic because I guess things are classic because they stand the test of time. These things that they're expressing, that Hardy's expressing right now, really stands the test of time. We all have these competing desires to better ourselves, but also to uh, honor our true selves, the, the place from where we come, the stuff of the earth that we are made of, worms and shit. That's who we are. We're just flesh tubes, right? I ta- we talked about flesh tubes in the very beginning. We're just flesh tubes, ex- you know, eating soil and excreting it and doing the best that we can. And you have these moments of epiphany and then you have moments of, but I want to be a better flesh tube. And in trying to better yourself, you leave others behind. And how do you do that in good conscience? How do you do that? You have to stay kind of in the soil where you're from. But, you know, some creature has to be the first one to grow a pair of legs and walk on land. Somebody has to do it. So Jude's trying to do it. Sue tried and ended up killing a dude. Way to go, Sally. So anyway, here we are in the middle of this philosophical conversation between Jude and Sue, where she is saying, I am the negation of civilization. It's a wonderful thing. I got so heated that I, I, I dropped the book and lost my place, and I'm going to have to go back and do whatever. I will probably have found my place by the next time we talk. Uh, which will be on the next episode, you know? So, I don't know. Your homework this week, like, consider the negation of civilization. Consider yourselves in civilization. Where do you fit in, you fucking flesh tubes? Till next time, I bid you adieu. Adieu. 
Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nesea. Spanish Aki Presents. Presents.